Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, loyal listeners. Dave and I are excited to announce that Sci-Fi Fidelity is doing its very first prize giveaway this holiday season to help promote the podcast, and hopefully there will be others in the future. Yeah, that's right, Mike. Three lucky listeners can win their very own copy of The Art and Making of the Expanse, Titan's book's official companion to the Sci-Fi series, airing its fourth season on Amazon Prime Video starting on December 13th. Yeah, it's a beautiful coffee table book filled with compelling concept art and gorgeous full-color photography in which the cast, crew, and creators reveal the ideas, processes, inspirations, and obstacles behind the making of this massively popular series. The book will be available on November 26th on Amazon and elsewhere, so you can be one of the first to get your copy. And there'll be no obstacles here. Entering is simple. Just follow Sci-Fi Fidelity on Twitter or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Sci-Fi Fidelity. Then respond to the giveaway thread, which is pinned to the top in both instances, and tell us who your favorite character is from The Expanse and why. And you can also win a bonus entry by writing a review for Sci-Fi Fidelity on Apple Podcasts. Just tell us what name your review is under when you respond to the Facebook or Twitter thread. Social media entries only need to be on one platform. No need to do both. So the giveaway ends on December 1st and winners will be selected at random. They must respond to prize shipping address requests within 48 hours before new winners are chosen. Sorry, international listeners, and we know we have quite a few, but this giveaway is open to U.S. residents only. So follow us and comment, and remember to subscribe to Sci-Fi Fidelity wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Now for this week's installment. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 77, Streaming Service Wars. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's Mike and Dave with you once again with a discussion topic. And this is one that harkens back to the early days of our discussion topics in season one of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Back then, we used to do topics that were sort of things we could debate, things that we could uh, deal with the controversy surrounding that topic of interest. And we since moved to our Super 6 topic where we do exemplars of a specific area of interest. But this topic, Streaming Service Wars, kind of combines the two ideas because not only do we have to discuss Apple TV+, Disney+, HBO Max, and what they're up to, what kind of shows in the genre field that they might be introducing, but also whether or not this is worth it, whether or not this is something that's a good thing or a bad thing, because now you have to decide which subscription services to subscribe to and which ones are going to be worth it for you. And that's a tough decision because, you know, a lot of people have FOMO, fear of missing out on some of these shows. (laughs) Well, you know, the thing that comes to my mind immediately is is that 
maxim about killing the golden goose. I forget what it is exactly, but it, it takes me back to my days when I was a sports card collector. And I, you know, around 1981, 1982, 83, the hobby really exploded. And Every weekend, there would be card shows all over the place, dealers cropping up, stores opening up. I'm selling a card that I paid a penny for, for $200. I kid you not. (laughs) And it's like, ah, this is great. Let's start a card company. And three companies expanded to four, four to five, five to six. Well, by about 1988, you had to pay somebody to take the cards from you. (laughs) Yeah. And that has carried over. It just ballooned. There's just too much. And as you said, most people have a limited budget. And entertainment is probably towards the bottom after they pay for their housing and their food and their insurance and their health care. And if there's anything left, it is going to entertainment. And it's just getting out of control. And you know, on the one hand, I, I just feel like these networks and, and these companies, they don't care No, <laughs> that maybe they've become so big, eh, if we lose a couple hundred million, so what? Right. And I wonder about that. Are they realizing how much risk they're taking, especially Apple? I feel, I mean, like you said, they could afford to lose this war if they do indeed lose it, as I predict they might. They'll just be like, well, we tried. It was a venture and it didn't work out. But yeah, it's really interesting because people who even cut the cord, first of all, if you cut the cord, you still need internet. So you're getting your internet provided by somebody. And if you've got Netflix and maybe one other one, Amazon, let's say, then maybe you're saving a little bit more money than if you had kept cable. But now if you've cut the cord, you could add your services back on and be right back to the point you were before you cut the cable in terms of how much money you're shelling out, maybe even more. Right. And I think the big loser in all of this might end up being Netflix because really each of them mentions exclusive content. So uh-huh. if Apple TV plus purports to have exclusive rights to this show, well, it used to be on Netflix. Look, look at all the Marvel shows that used to be on Netflix. Well, that's a great point. And Netflix has been capitalizing on everyone's content that they needed to get out there for the on-demand audience. And yeah, who's going to be contributing to it now? So I think what's going to happen there is that Netflix is going to still produce its own original content. And because it's been already established, it's going to stay in the game. But I think if you ask a lot of people for the new streaming services that are coming out in the coming year, and Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus are coinciding with the publication of this podcast, which is why it's a discussion topic, there's going to be a lot of back and forth trying to f- vie for that special audience and how much of that audience are they going to take away from Netflix just based on their price point maybe. And we'll talk about that as we go through each one. So let's start with Apple TV plus because that was released on November 1st with a small slate of content. There's more coming, but there's a few shows that are already on there. It's got the lowest price for consumers at four ninety nine a month after a seven day free trial. And that's not a, a trial price. That is the price. So that's pretty competitive. I think $5 a month is something maybe people can swallow. Yeah. But I think what they're going to see is the lack of content. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And 499 suddenly doesn't seem like such a great deal. And they're going to give a free year to anybody 
purchasing a new iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, iPod Touch. Do they still make those? Yeah. I guess. Or a new computer altogether. Yeah. Is that going to be enough? Certainly people buy new iPhones all the time, but is that going to be enough to draw people in? You get a free year and you can share it with up to six family members, which is similar to the the higher end Netflix accounts. So I don't know, because I think Apple TV plus is going to have the the most uphill battle, especially with some of the reviews that are out there for the shows that are already on its slate. So it's got a, a little bit of a fight to do, but perhaps some of its later programming will draw people in. It's also been reported that Apple TV plus plans to distinguish itself a little bit by having a little bit less edgy content. Although, you know, with C having some kind of bloody battle scenes, certainly they've toned it down. So it's not quite as bad as maybe game of Thrones or the walking dead, but you know, they still have some violence and sex and stuff like that, but maybe it's just a little bit more subdued. And I don't know if that's enough to distinguish it. Well, I I think it is, but negatively, I I mean, I, I think the average viewer does want some edge in their TV viewing. I mean, that's why we've abandoned the traditional networks because we do want some edgy content. And look, you know, Wayne and I covered the librarians for a number of years, and I know you know the show well. And and one of the things we always pointed out, this is a show that the whole family can watch. And, and there's something to be said for that. And I think that's true. That's a good segue to the second service, which is Disney Plus, because I do think there might be a bit of a skew towards a younger audience for some of the programming, certainly not all, but they definitely have a built-in library. This is the thing about Disney Plus, which is the one that's closest to the publication of this podcast with its release on November 12th. It's going to cost $6.99 a month, which is still pretty cheap. And they're running a deal where if you buy three years up front, then you're right down to the $4.99 price that Apple TV offers. But the advantage it has is a built-in library of Disney content, tons of that, you got all the Star Wars movies, plus all the Star Wars animated series, which already exist. And of course, they own Marvel. So now they're going to be probably plugging away at some of those properties as well, both new and old. So it's not just about the new programming. It's also like, what library do you have for people to dig into? Yeah. And as you know, from me, uh, virtually none of that stuff interests me. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't have little kids. I'm not a little kid. I'm not going to watch Little Mermaid 16 times. But Star Wars, you know, I think Star Wars is not necessarily your bag, but it is certainly got an older audience that genre TV viewers might cross over into. So I think that that's true. And there's a couple of, of Star Wars TV shows on the slate, not all right up front, but November 12th, they are dropping quite a few in each of those areas, Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel. Right. And certainly we did the Sandbox podcast for a number of years, examining Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we both love that show. But as we said many times on the podcast, we're not a huge Marvel fan. I mean, we like them. We watched them because we felt we should in many cases, but... Well, it doesn't matter what we think. I know, I know. (laughs) Because it's such a huge thing. There are people like Wayne out there, you know? (laughs) Our listeners love Marvel, even if we don't. I know, I know. But the third player on the scene isn't coming around until May of 2020, but HBO Max just announced its lineup, its impending lineup, like right up front when the service is released. Just a few weeks ago on Den of Geek, we had a bunch of articles talking about Green Lantern 
and some of the other things that HBO Max has in store. Now, this one is $14.99 a month, which you think, okay, that's fine because that's what current HBO subscribers are paying. But does this replace that service or is it in addition to that service? Yeah, and there's not a lot of definitive answering out there because as an HBO subscriber myself, I mean, I have direct TV and I have Showtime, HBO and stars as my extras. And that was my first question. Are you going to make me buy that in addition? No way. They've got to bundle it somehow. (laughs) Yeah. And from what I've read, the best information that I could find is that they're trying to work it out so that current subscribers like me will receive HBO Max, which will include all their new content as well as all the original HBO content that's already aired, like Game of Thrones, for instance. And that what they're really trying to do is attract new subscribers, which I think is a smart move given the landscape that we're describing here. All right. Yeah, that's that, I didn't think of it that way, but that's true. And of course, you do have to add in the fact that you mentioned you had stars and that's just like a, an additional add-on that's also available through other avenues, of course. But, you know, when you have Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu, and then you start adding CBS All Access, YouTube Premium, DC Universe, Stars, and, you know, remember a little service called Stargate Command that we talked about Stargate Origins coming from? I mean, how can little services like that compete? I don't know. Again, I thought that at the time, even before all of these entries uh, started. And then I read the other day, NBC Universal is exploring the idea as well. So right. they have a lot of universal content to share as well. So they might have a built-in library, but yeah, who's going to choose that over Netflix and maybe Disney plus people are predicting that one with its massive library is going to, is going to be the one that's going to compete the most, but yeah, really a lot of decisions that people are going to have to make. Yeah. And when I go back to Netflix, it's almost as if they saw the writing on the wall as they stepped up their original content and their original content has been really good. But the other thing I love that they're doing, and I think it's catching on everywhere, is that they're bringing the original Netflix international content shows like Dark, which are produced for Netflix Germany. And I've mentioned many times my wife and I have watched a ton of Netflix Spanish shows, British shows. So, you know, it's like you said, it's we've all got decisions to make. What's worth it? I wonder if what's going to happen is, as Wayne was telling me the other day, that he would get HBO when Game of Thrones season was starting. As soon as it ended, he would cancel it. (laughs) There you go. People are going to get pretty strategic like that, I think. Yeah. Especially with Apple TV's uh, seven day trial. I think people are going to maybe want to check out one or two things and then let the trial run out and not pay for it. The way we're going to do our discussion here, and of course the listeners are going to join in with us as well, is we're just going to pick one show from each of the new services, the big new services, HBO Max, Disney Plus, and Apple TV Plus, and say which one's caught our eye in the genre field that might be enough to draw at least our type of fans into these services. And you can be the judge, but... We're also asking the listeners to contribute what they're looking forward to from these services and whether they think it's enough to make them subscribe. So we picked one of each. Uh, Dave, which one are you going to start with? Well, I'm going to start with HBO Max, and they are going to have Doctor Who. Now, 
currently BritBox has Classic Who, the 26 seasons that ran from 1963 to 1989, I believe, or 1987, thereabouts. BBC America, of course, has New Who, which I almost find it odd to call it New Who now that they've had 11 seasons under their belt, but <laughs> yeah. you, you guys know what I mean. So HBO Max is going to become the sole distribution outlet for New Who, which means all 11 seasons will be available and future seasons will be added after they air on BBC America, though there seems to be no timetable yet for how long that's going to take. I mean, is it going to be the day after it airs? Is it going to be the year after the season airs? So, so we don't know that yet if you're a doctor who fan the current dr jody whitaker is going to return for her second season as the first ever female doctor all three companions are going to be back season 12 is slated to air in early 2020 and you mentioned that hbo max is slated to drop may of 2020 which seems so far away but that's only like six months and it seems to coincide pretty well with the Doctor Who yeah. premiere. Maybe that's how it's going to be timed. Yeah. So assuming I get HBO Max as part of my package, I'll finally be able to free up space on my DVR by deleting all the Who that's accumulated there because, you know, BBC America doesn't have <laughs> access of past episodes. So, you know, that's going to be good for for Doctor Who fans. And yeah, it's interesting you picked something like that, which is kind of a Netflixy type of content to do for for hbo max but you got to have different strategies in line and of course the one that surprised me the most i'll go ahead and do my hbo max show as well is the fact that green lantern was announced as something that they're going to be doing as a tv series which would be intriguing enough since i used to collect green lantern and i've been sort of disappointed as many fans have by the depictions of this particular hero thus far but maybe hbo can get it right I don't know, but I have to ask, why didn't this show up for DC Universe to produce? Because, you know, we got to see all those Marvel shows get canceled because Disney Plus was pulling all of Marvel to their streaming services. So why wouldn't DC Universe do the same? I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled by that, especially since it's Greg Berlanti. Yeah. And I guess one thing that we've learned in these years is that these contracts are often yeah. weird. So. I guess there must be something about the rights and who owns them, but yeah. Um, are, are you still carrying your green lantern lunchbox to school every day? <laughs> not quite. No. no, but I do still have my collection. That's one I did not get rid of at the pawn shop. So, <laughs> but yeah, Greg Berlanti's doing this one and he's also doing strange adventures, which other people are looking forward to. This one's not related to the green lantern core movie project, which is currently stuck in development. Hell it was supposed to be you know, filmed by now, but but who knows what's going on with that. But I think there are a lot of people that maybe are looking more forward to Berlanti's other project, Strange Adventures, which is an anthology series featuring Adam Strange crossing between realities. But for that particular storyline, which is very much like Elseworlds from the DC line, my money's on Disney Plus's What If, which I hear that Haley Atwell is going to be reprising her Agent Carter role for that one. And these alternate realities in which they speculate on what if this superhero had this going on instead, or what if Thor was a woman or, <laughs> you know, things that actually were explored in the comics. So I think green lantern is going to be great. 
I think that's maybe just my own cockeyed optimism speaking out, but I just always have that optimism when it comes to TV projects, being able to do it differently than they do on the big screen, just because they have more time to develop characters. I want to see John as Green Lantern, not Hal. So let's make it happen. John Stewart is the Green Lantern that needs his time. <laughs> okay, so now you got me thinking, all right, well, what if Peg and Cap did get married? <laughs> yeah, what if is definitely, what if almost made my list as the Disney Plus entry? I picked a different one, but but yeah, what if is definitely one I'm looking forward to if I can you know, squeeze a few bucks out of uh, <laughs> the budget to subscribe to Disney Plus. All right. Well, speaking of Disney Plus, I don't think it has an actual name yet, but the Loki series, uh, it's I've seen it referred in different ways, in, in some cases just Loki. But the information about the series was released at the 2019 San Diego Comic-Con. It's scheduled for a 2021 release, which is over a year and a half away. Six episodes. Tom Hiddleston's going to reprise his role. I like the character of Loki. My wife absolutely loves Loki. Uh, Again, if you've listened to our podcast over the years, my wife is not a huge genre fan. Things that she ends up liking often surprise me. Loki, kind of, because she usually goes for the good guys. Well, it's Tom Hiddleston. Let's let's be real. Good point. Good point. (laughs) Loki meets his demise in Avengers Infinity War. And then in Endgame, uh, he plays a version of Loki from an alternate timeline, which is something Marvel is wont to do on occasion. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, One who had yet to go through a redemption arc that his doppelganger had. And, And Hiddleston has been pretty open in interviews about his character and this coming series confirmed that the TV show is going to answer some huge questions raised by Endgame concerning the fate of the trickster god and he was on Stephen Colbert not too long ago and and he said in the years since Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame which came out in the spring two questions I've been asked are is Loki really dead and what's Loki doing with that cube it's always the cube somehow he says this series is going to answer both of those questions. Ooh. Yeah. So, you know, on the one hand, I love the fact that he throws that out there because it's spoilery, but not really. It's 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 a great it's a tease. tease. Yeah. So I, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I don't know if I'm going to have Disney Plus. I, I doubt whether I'll get it just to watch Loki. But if I do, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. How are people that have decided not to get these streaming services going to consume it if they change their mind? Are they going to have to like log in with someone else's? <laughs> like our neighbors going to share their Disney Plus accounts? as uh, Netflix has certainly uh, served that purpose, because I have the feeling that this might cause some neighbors to go in on different services together to save some money. We'll see. Well, I have read some articles that Netflix has already explored that problem and that they're working on ways to prevent it from happening. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there goes that idea. But yeah, I had a tough time picking my Disney Plus choice. I mean, 
I did recently do an interview for the fourth wall podcast, which is another podcast here at den of geek in which we interview people from all different aspects of TV and film in the geek arena, not just genre. So I interviewed the showrunners of Marvel's hero project, which is a nonfiction show on Disney plus again, very young skewing, but I had to look at the star Wars content because although you and I aren't really huge into star Wars, I certainly watched the first movie episode four when I was young, a number of times wore out the VHS tape. So I am a fan in that sense of the original trilogy. And I think some people may actually be looking more forward to the Obi-Wan series that has Ewan McGregor in it, reprising his role. But in a similar fashion to what you said with Tom Hiddleston, that show's not coming out until 2021, even though it actually does have a nod to the original saga movies. But I think what's much more interesting is that at launch on November 12th, Disney plus has the Mandalorian in its lineup. And I think that actually maybe sounds less interesting on the surface, but when you dig into it, you realize there's a lot more potential there than with an Obi-Wan series because people are going to come to the Obi-Wan series kind of prejudging it based on the prequels episodes one, two, and three that maybe weren't so popular despite Ewan McGregor's (laughs) involvement, but I could be wrong, but the Mandalorian, although it doesn't necessarily have that star power, it has the chance to explore parts of the Star Wars universe that's just completely separate from the films. You know, it follows the kick-ass bounty hunter, of course, as Mandalorians are known, such as the infamous Boba Fett and his ancestor Jango Fett from the Clone Wars. I think the Mandalorians have a lot of potential. They're a race of warriors, not necessarily the same species, but kind of like a, a bunch of Mandalorian, you know, you can join the Mandalorian clan, for example. And I think that that has kind of a killjoys aspect to it for me a little bit. Oh yeah. And you know, if you've been reading the, the news pieces on den of geek, you know, there are a lot of titles in the pipeline and, you know, you mentioned star power for a a particular series. Well, they don't all have to have star power. As long as they're in that star Wars universe, I think people are going to just consume it like crazy. Yeah. And I think Mandalorian is definitely going to be high on a lot of people's lists because you should be able to make maybe oblique references to the saga films, but for the most part, just leave them completely out. In my opinion, Make your own storylines that are bounty hunter related, but you still have iconic imagery that even shows up in the trailer. And one of my favorites is the fact that you can see the bounty hunters kind of gathering up their, their prey by freezing them in carbonite, which is just exactly like Han Solo and Empire Strikes Back. So, you know, that's got a lot of potential. And so the Mandalorian would be my star Wars pick for the Disney plus lineup. Okay. All right, well, why don't we finish up with Apple Plus, which is an offering that I think both of us, it's fair to say, are a bit skeptical as to its success. And I guess it'd be also fair to say its flagship property at this point is the series For All Mankind, which really is a classic what-if scenario. And, And For All Mankind is going to explore an alternate history in which the space race never ended, And the Soviet Union reaches the moon first. Now, we've certainly got one of those alternate histories, The Man in the High Castle on Amazon, which has done really well, both critically and uh, with consumers. So I I think there is 
a place for this kind of a story. And, you know, for those of us that are old enough to remember, there was a time when astronauts were looked on as rock stars. And now I'd be hard pressed to name even one astronaut. Exactly. And I think you're right. The Man in the High Castle reference is definitely applicable here because it's something that you can do that doesn't have quite the controversy of that. And I remember there was talk of a show that what if the South won the Civil War? That's just got way too many problems attached to it. Whereas this one seems like they could really do something interesting with it. Like, would the space race keep going if America had to play catch up? Right. Now, you know, the, I know the series you're referring to about the South winning the Civil War. And, and I guess that is a fascinating possibility, but I think that would be something that would have to be tackled by one of the international divisions of Netflix, <laughs> not not in the United States for obvious reasons. The showrunner and creator is none other than Ronald D. Moore, who we know from Battlestar Galactica, currently Outlander. And he's going to take viewers inside the lives of the astronauts, the mission control crews, and their families. And, you know, we've seen little tidbits of how fascinating that can be through some of the films that have explored the space race and American astronauts. There are going to be historical figures like John Glenn, Neil Armstrong, Werner von Braun, in with the core group of fictional astronauts and mission control individuals. And I don't know about you. No, actually, I do know. You love Joel Kinnaman. Yes. And, and he's <laughs> going to be one of the main characters. Altered Carbon, you and I know him from The Killing. Ren Schmidt, ironically, who starred in The Americans. But I also know her from Outcast, which is a Cinemax horror series that, that lasted two seasons. But she was wonderful. And then Sarah Jones, from Alcatraz, which was a short-lived series on Fox with lost Jorge Garcia, which was a show that I was really enjoying and would have watched a season two had they gotten one, but they did not. So they've assembled a, a pretty awesome cast. So the series dropped on November 1st, 2019 with three episodes. And then the plan is for Apple to release one episode a week for the following seven weeks. And uh. if you're digging the show, you're going to be happy to know it's already been renewed for a second season. Yeah, that's the Hulu method, I call that. And I think Hulu really did a cool thing when they, when they did that. Release three and then do the rest a week apart. I think that's an excellent, excellent way to do it. And happy to hear that Apple's doing it that way. I wonder if they're going to do that with my choice the other genre show because <laughs> it really is the only other genre show currently in the lineup and that is c which is a sci-fi offering that actually had a press junket that i got to see and visit in la my first visit to la which was very fun and i really enjoyed the premise of c really enjoyed reviewing it for den of geek and sharing the the interview content that i had from that junket but it didn't do so well with the critics. I gave it a little bit higher score than most people did, but even I used the same word as a lot of the other critics did. And that is, it was a bit silly at times. <laughs> so I don't know if people have seen it yet since it's been out since November 1st. But for those of you who haven't, the premise of C is that a virus has wiped out all but a few million of the world's population. And the remaining people that survived the virus are struck blind for generations, hundreds of years. So the power of sight eventually becomes a myth. In fact, it becomes a heresy to some religious aspects of the new culture. 
And so now in a remote tribe, two babies are born being able to see. And the queen, Queen Cain, who rules nearby the village that has these babies born, wants them for herself. She kind of puts on a big show of saying that this is a heresy. We must get rid of them. I think she just wants the power to exploit for herself. So I think that's a really cool premise on the surface of it. Oh, I do too. And and again, the cast they've assembled is pretty stellar. So as long as the scripts are good. Yeah. I I had the pleasure of meeting Jason Momoa as Baba Voss. He's obviously the person carrying this series and the main draw, but actually just as fun for me when I went to LA was meeting Alfre Woodard, you know, four-time Emmy winner, you know, been nominated for several Academy Awards. She's like actress emeritus and she plays the village wise woman. And I got to meet Nesta Cooper who played Carly on travelers. And you know, people who listen to this podcast know we love travelers and she plays one of the sighted twins once they grow up. So a lot of great characters and actors in this show. I think what really kind of struck me was that sometimes some of the tribal aspects of the blind society come across as maybe they're taking themselves a little bit too seriously. And that's why I say sometimes it comes across as a little silly when it doesn't quite work as a serious exploration of this concept, but they did take it seriously. They want to, they talked a lot about at at the press junket, how they want to treat blindness with respect. And in fact, they were very careful to cast several blind or low vision actors, including Marilee Talkington, who, plays a recurring role in the series. So I think it really is a very, very cool concept. Hopefully the execution will, will follow through and, and not border on ridiculous at times, but I think the characterization is great. The concept is really unique. And you said that for all mankind is the flagship series. I kind of thought C was the flagship series and some others might argue it's like one of the comedies, the, the Dickinson comedy or the morning show drama carrying that network, but who knows? I guess everyone's going to come to it from a different angle, but are these enough to bring in genre fans just see and for all mankind at release? Yeah, I don't know. And you know, you mentioned the Dickinson and I'm looking forward to Dickinson, which I, I guess I would consider an alternate history, but it is a comedy. And I think based on the trailers, it is one that Apple plus would do well to really promote because I think it will bring in that, that person like my wife, who's not really a genre fan, but she can be grabbed into watching it. <laughs> and, you know, when you take a historical figure like Emily Dickinson and it's her story, but she's not the recluse we know from reality. In fact, she's a party girl. Yeah. And there's a lot of modern music in it and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, And the anachronisms that they, they plan to use. So, you know, we'll see, like we said, I think Apple plus has uh, an uphill battle, but yeah, it could work. I think Dickinson is an interesting example too. I know you had originally planned on using that as a point of discussion in this discussion topic. And I think that a lot of the critics have been saying that Dickinson is the best offering that they have uh, currently in their lineup. So they don't necessarily want to grab genre fans in particular, but I think all of these services would be remiss not to underestimate the power of the genre fan in terms of devotion and loyalty to a streaming service right when you need to build that from scratch. So especially Apple TV plus. 
All right, well, I guess we'll get our wallets and credit cards and digital currency ready. But what do the listeners have to say about opening their wallets to the (laughs) big three? Yeah, I guess uh, it was very interesting to see on Facebook when we posed this question. It was all about what are you looking forward to on the services, but also is it worth it to you? So different people had different things to say and focused in on different aspects of that question. But let's go ahead and take a listen to what our listeners on the Facebook group had to say about the streaming service wars. All right. And we got lots of feedback for this one. This one will have to actually get into people's thoughts. So it'll be a little bit more intense than we usually have for our feedback segment. Yeah, because it's getting into their wallets. (laughs) Exactly. So they have some thoughts, some feelings. And Faith will start us off by uh, mentioning that between laying down an absurd amount of money for my new iMac and my Verizon service, I won't be paying for Apple or Disney for the first year. I will be watching as much as possible. I do, though, think Disney is worth it. I'm a giant Marvel fangirl, and For All Mankind is the number one on my list. So yeah, like we mentioned, if you buy a new iMac or a new iPhone or a new various Apple products, you do get Apple TV Plus for a year for free. So I guess Faith's going to check it out anyway. But I guess we know that Faith probably won't be able to pass up Disney Plus uh, once all the offerings are out there. All right. Well, David checked in and says, I've been looking at the Apple shows and thought for all mankind and C are probably worth a look. What I can see people doing is paying for a month's subscription, watching everything they want and then not renewing. Yeah. Then doing the same to the next service. And I think they're going to be surprised that people, I don't know if they'll keep a spreadsheet that reminds them, hey, you got to <laughs> do this or use their iPhone to set an alarm, cancel this service. And, but yeah, I, I doubt most people are going to keep a service for all 12 months. Right. But at the good the thing about Apple TV Plus is that there aren't that many offerings to start out anyway. And that's true somewhat of Disney Plus, although not so much. But Elisa says, I already get HBO now, so I'm sticking with that. I'm going to wait and see on everything else new. And Elisa went on to say that, and I don't know how HBO now and HBO Max are going to play with each other once that time comes. But Elisa says she's watching His Dark Materials and Watchmen, both of which have been or will be covered on this podcast. She's also waiting on Man in the High Castle and The Expanse and Britannia, from Amazon Prime's three great genre examples. And she'll probably check out The Witcher, she says. And we might do that too, Elisa. So stay tuned. And she's watching Mr. Robot currently. So yeah, a lot of great shows. None of those are on the new streaming services, but uh, definitely the HBO offerings and the Amazon offerings are are on people's radar. Yeah. And again, I, I'm afraid because I, I'm the same way. She may have a, a while to wait for a man in the high castle coming to something other than Amazon. And yeah, <laughs> I guess the same with the expanse, but, uh, well, I, I get the sense she has Amazon prime. So I think a lot okay. of people do actually. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm a dinosaur in that <laughs> regard, but, uh, all right. So Carolyn says I'll probably pay for Disney plus simply because they have all things, Marvel, star Wars, and Disney my three favorite fandoms, and I really want to see Mandalorian. While I am curious about the programming on Apple TV, I don't know if it's enough of a draw to get me to pay for another service. And I've never had HBO, so never had a desire to pay for it. And I think uh, Game of Thrones actually motivated a lot of people initially to the point where now they might actually have a lot of people's foot in the door, at least with the current HBO service. We'll see if that translates to HBO Max, but... 
But I definitely think that Watchmen and his dark materials are getting a leg up from Game of Thrones in a sense. Now, Jeff chimes in with some of the best feedback that we have on this particular segment because he really opened my eyes to a couple of things that were asked earlier in this podcast. So Jeff says, what they are doing is exhausting people. (laughs) We are forced to share accounts or use other means to watch content. That is frustrating. What is also frustrating is when the parent company has multiple streaming services and steals content from one service to bulk up the other. For example, Warner Brothers stealing the CWDC TV shows from its own DC Universe service to put on HBO Max. So I, I was asking earlier in the podcast, you know, why is Green Lantern on HBO Max instead of on DC Universe? And Jeff answered that question. I didn't realize those were both Warner Brothers properties. So I guess they're having to pick and choose in that sense. Jeff goes on to say, some services are already folding. I got an email last week that Stargate Command is folding at the end of the year. Their service was $20 a year for every episode of the three series, TV movies, movie, new content, message boards, and quizzes. A very reasonable price. So thank you very much, Jeff. Yeah, that's definitely news that I was unaware of. So thanks. Yeah, but it doesn't surprise me. While $20 a year in the big picture is pretty small, how long is it going to take you to go through all the Stargate content? I mean, I can see it maybe taking more than a year. Well, and the idea was to introduce new shows, but I don't think there was enough power behind it to do that. Yeah, no. All right, Benita says, just makes it easier to watch less. This (laughs) fragmentation is too much for me. I plan to stay with Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu for now. And Benita, you're probably not alone. Like Mike said, I'm probably one of the only people that still doesn't have Amazon Prime. But Netflix remains my go-to. I have HBO, Showtime, and Stars because I negotiated a deal with my DirecTV account. But beyond that, I, I just don't see me picking anything else up. Yeah. I mean, Benita, that's one more service that I have currently. I have Netflix and Amazon and I only have Netflix because of the network giving screeners to me for different shows that I review. So I I only had Amazon until then. Well, Linda comes to us with some thoughts on the matter. She says, I had a look at what's on offer that might be of interest to me, but I'm not willing to start a sub for a show, which I am half hearted about. Before all this, I'd pay for one first episode of a show on Google Play, and then if I liked it, I'd get the rest. But at least I had a sampler. YouTube was doing this too, (laughs) but I just can't get enthused about new content enough for the cost I have to commit to. His Dark Materials is top of my shortlist, and that's a regular HBO show. I can't get excited by things like C or For All Mankind. I think I'd just get bored. Also, Picard and the new Star Trek animated Lower Decks all sound interesting, and that's on CBS All Access. So Amazon is one of the few on my list due to this content. I'm seeing Rise of Skywalker because I think I have to, but Mandalorian doesn't thrill me. Yeah, so it's tough making those decisions, not only based on what's going to be on the show, but what you're already interested in that's maybe airing elsewhere. Yeah, and I'm glad Linda mentioned Star Trek and you, you know, you brought up the fact that it's on CBS All Access because for somebody that was raised on Star Trek at a time when there wasn't a lot of genre fare, particularly science fiction, I just have no interest <laughs> yeah. in Star Trek. Well, Picard does intrigue me much more than Discovery, but I'll have to wait and see if it proves to be as good as, as it is in our anticipating minds. <laughs> 
So, all right. Well, Kevin checked in, and he he's always got an interesting take on these sorts of things. And, and Kevin says, if you're willing to put in the effort of juggling signups and cancellations for different streaming services, along with binging a show you like during the one month that you might be a subscriber, then you can get a lot of great content that's very specific to what you enjoy. Exactly. Yes. However, it can be a lot of work. So much for just sitting down on the couch and surfing around to see what's on. You need to be a much more engaged viewer with a plan. Otherwise, it's going to cost you a fortune to watch everything you might be interested in. It also means folks likely have to pick a service or two that has most of the content that you enjoy, and then you just have to let the other stuff pass you by. And I I guess that's my feeling that I'm going to keep Netflix until they do something that pushes me away. But as Kevin points out, you're going to see people keeping something for a month. So I wonder, the streaming services have to have thought about this. Yeah. And will it be too long before you're required to sign up for a full year? Yeah. Or the monthly subscription will be much higher than had you chosen to go with a whole year. Yeah, that that might be true. Yeah. I mean, Stargate Command, it sounds like, was going for the annual plan. So. That definitely could be in the works. And we'll end up our discussion with Joe, who says, we've subscribed to CBS All Access twice to watch the two seasons of Discovery. (laughs) So I guess he's saying he stopped it afterwards and just signed up for it during the time they were watching it. That's pretty genius. We'll probably do that again for Picard and other Star Trek shows, though it may need longer or more often since they've got multiple Trek shows planned. We'll probably get Disney Plus sometime for Mandalorian and the Marvel shows. On Apple, only For All Mankind looks worthwhile. Others will depend on reviews, which haven't been great so far. Hopefully, they'll still have the free year when we next upgrade an Apple device. I've avoided paying for HBO, expensive, and their shows tend to be more graphic, intense, or cruel than we like. May eventually subscribe for shows like Watchmen, though we wouldn't keep it for long. Maybe we'll check out The Leftovers or others. Yeah, so there's a lot of different considerations to make. And it sounds like, Joe, you've got a great plan. And I think that's just what it takes is knowing yourself, knowing your family's viewing habits and deciding from that. So thank you very much to all those of you who contributed on our Facebook group. And now we'll send it back to our earlier selves to finish out the podcast. All right. Thank you very much to all of those of you who contributed to this discussion. This was a very unique one even among our super six topics, just because it had that little, little bit of extra controversy to it. But I always like to see our listeners getting involved and, and they've really been diving right in with our discussion topics since we started season five. And I very much appreciate that, but we've got something interesting coming up next Dave, because it was originally going to be a show topic, but now it's going to be an interview. We had lots of trouble scheduling an interview. We tried Watchmen. We tried for all mankind And now we've actually gotten the showrunner, I'm very excited, from Daybreak on Netflix, which is a really unique show. And I'm actually very happy that this is going to be an interview rather than a show topic, because the showrunner, Aaron Eli Colite, is very much going to do a better job of discussing this show than we would have. (laughs) Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It It's awesome, what I've seen so far. And I know you liked it because I read your review. 
Yes, and I'm definitely planning on binging straight through it to prepare for the interview. But that's going to be next week on the podcast. But that's it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics via social media or through an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.